0: uh episode number 60, 60th episode of H-Hour, and I've messed it up already, awesome. So, <laughs> sponsoring us today, supporting the podcast today, and supporting the podcast for pretty much the entire time it's been going, uh, is a Westway Nissan, Westway Nissan, the UK's largest Nissan dealership, um, managing director is ex-military, and uh, his son, or one of his sons is ex-military, and sadly got killed in Afghanistan, serving with three parents rather than 11. Tony, the MD, has also been a previous guest. So, you know that Westway are behind veterans, are behind service personnel, supporting them in any way they can. One of the ways they do that is by offering up to a 20% discount off uh, purchases with Westway um, if you're serving personnel or a veteran. Uh, they also, um, if you're looking for work, they like to try and give you a, a job where they can. They can't always. You can't just magic jobs at their backside. But they can give you a job, they will do. And if they can't give you a job, they'll point you in the right direction 100%. So, stick Westway Nissan in your mind if they're not already in your mind, okay? Right now as well, they've got a golden ticket... Uh, what would you, what'd you call it? A golden ticket uh, promotion on. They've got a golden ticket promotion on. Um, so, between the Friday, the 12th, and the Sunday, the 14th of July, um, a Westway golden ticket... If you are lucky enough to get one, we'll give you exclusive access to some of the very special offers that Westway have on new Nissans. Offers like 500 pounds off a purchase if you take a test drive, 4 years 0% APR finance, and you can also get up to 5 grand towards a deposit with a representative 5% APR. Whatever model you choose, a Westway golden ticket will get you the very best deal. Westray, are awesome at deals. i am always got one off about them because they've always, always got deals. It seems like they put a different promotion on every week. They've got them on all the time. It's like they never have a normal sale. There's always discounts. In addition to those, they're also... Those golden tickets, I should say. They're also giving away a free hotel stay or a dash cam with every purchase, as well as the opportunity to win a wind tunnel experience with the Red Devils parachute display team red freds to their friends i know a few of the red devils they're the parachute regiment display team um westway nissan sponsored them and uh they're a staple um are a staple attraction at westway events and events that westway sponsors such as the rugby Four heroes stuff and other charity events 353 trust red devils and westway are hand in hand and brilliant both brilliant both brilliant organizations and i got proud they got friends in both red freds are awesome so um Get yourself, uh, getting yourself in with a chance of uh, getting a wind tunnel experience when you do a purchase. Superb. A limited number of tickets are being issued and claims are being dealt with on a 1st come, first-served basis. Don't miss out. Claim your ticket today. Go to UK and hit. Claim your golden ticket. Or go to WestwayEvents.co.uk, either or. Thank you to Westway. Thank you to Tony and all the staff. You're amazing. Um, also sponsoring us today are Team Rubicon UK. Team Rubicon UK are a disaster response charity formed predominantly of ex-military volunteers, much like myself. I'm a volunteer with uh, Team Rubicon UK and they call it volunteers grey shirts. I'm a grey shirt and I'm very proud to be one. They respond to disasters overseas and in the UK, applying the skills and experience of their volunteers where it's needed most. To help people get back on their feet, to help people survive in the most dire of circumstances, the last overseas international response deployment was to Mozambique in uh, in April, but well, between March, April, and finishing off early May, and they helped over hundred and seventy thousand people on that operation, which is unbelievable for such a for such a small charity. Um, with so little funding, they do amazing work. I've seen it I and mean, been part of it firsthand. The most recent deployment was not overseas; it's actually in the UK in Lincolnshire to help people with the floods, the massive flooding that hit up in uh, in parts of the in parts of uh, Lincolnshire a few weeks back. So, it's an amazing organisation. They can only go on so so long as their funding allows. When I say go on, I mean go on helping people, and they are a critical part of disaster response in today's world. I say that hands down, very proud to be part of them and very I'm very proud of what they do. Um they don't get government funded. They don't get any form of government funding, government sponsorship whatsoever. They survive on the generosity of the British public. So please, if you can donate, do so. Even the smallest even the smallest smallest amount helps. Go to teamrubiconuk.org forward slash donate and chuck a few pennies their way. Um, also, if you want to volunteer, you can do so at teamrubiconuk.org and just hit sign up. Um, there's actually a course going on next week. A bunch of people signed, a bunch of my friends and uh, colleagues have signed up for that. And uh, there's a course in there, there's, a few, there's loads of courses this year. Loads of them. Get on there. Donate if you can, volunteer if you can. And maybe I'll see you at one of the events, one of the courses. I'll see you on the ground, responding to a disaster. disaster, helping people out. Thank you to Team Rubicon UK. Finally, sponsors today are Rugby for Heroes. Rugby for Heroes are a not-for-profit organisation. They organise fundraising events to raise money for military charities in the UK. They've been doing this for 10 year, over ten years now. They formed in 2008 in uh, memory of Private Joe Whitaker, who was serving before parents sadly killed in Afghanistan. Um, and since forming ten years ago, over ten years ago, they have raised in excess of one hundred thousand pounds which is an unbelievable effort when you consider they only do one or two events a year. And over 10 years, hundred or thousand pounds is absolutely immense. They were formed um, predominantly of uh, a group of old Lementonia and Rugby Football Club, keen rugby players and rugby fans, uh, who are all rather excited at the moment of the prospect of the uh, Rug- Rugby World Cup coming up. Um, so to keep a tab on what's going on with Rugby Heroes in the next event, you can go to rugbyforheroes.org or Rugby number 4 Heroes, on social media. A lot of planning going on behind the scenes at a minute, working towards the next event, finalising that date. So, keep eyes on it. Give them a like, give them a share. Uh, A couple of the people who uh, are involved with um, Rugby for Heroes um, orchestrating it have been podcast guests as well. Thank you to Rugby for Heroes. That is it. On to the podcast. My guest today is Steve Heaney, MC. Steve Heaney Military Cross winner. He's on again for part two. Uh continuing on from where we left off last time. So picking it up from um from uh one para coming in uh to uh, relieve PF in that uh, in the village and uh yeah we spoke through the rest of the operation with Steve um fascinating listening to him as it was last time. And then we also went on to uh, sort of transition at the military, um, lessons learned, and I uh, want that the company now runs. This is a good one. You uh, you need to listen to part one first if you've not listened to it. Steve Heaney MC part one, which is a couple of episodes ago. If you listen to that one, enjoy this one. Hey, Chow with uh, Steve Heaney. Okay, hey, we're uh, just waiting for the just waiting for the military cross when it sort his fucking admin out.
1: Whoa 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 Tiger <laughs>
0: <laughs> Part two mate Steve Heaney MC Part two Let's recap. So How long have we got for the recap? Fucking hell <laughs> <laughs> I say how lo- I say how long you need, but we've been here an hour of time. <laughs> yeah mate i tell you what buddy first one was a good podcast but really good really good mate but it needed that time it needed yeah. that time right and yeah, i was okay. nowhere out of russia so well i did try russia but it didn't fucking work anyway Stubborn yeah. stuff of northerner right so just like a brief recap and you i'm gonna say it <laughs> i'll control it and then you just jump in wherever deploy Sierra Leone, not palace or one power battle group in a short, rapid, and rapid fire amount of time. So people listening to this, and you haven't heard part one, you need to go back, about two episodes before, listen to Steve Heaney MC part one to get a gist to where we're at. So 2001, 2000, 2000, uh, 2000 in Sierra Leone, you deployed one pirate um, between the airport and the embassy. Uh, you, are, you have gone through the first series of battles on the ground in the jungle in the village called... Lungilol. Lungilol um and one power have come in to provide a relief in place okay you've now got proper scales of ammunition because you initially deployed with 40 rounds of man right and some other stuff uh now got proper scales of ammunition you've dealt with mm, brian bud vc rest his soul at the time dealt with the female casualty yeah uh female civilian casualty got shot in the chest Shot in the shoulder. Shot in the shoulder. Did she survive? Yeah, she did, yeah. Um, and the platoon has decided, well, let's take it from there. One power have just come in.
1: So one power got in about half eight in the morning. About 30 of them. So platoon. Just a reminder
0: of how strong you were at the time. 26. 26, cool. Yeah. 26. Mm. So. Sorry, sorry, sorry. this is the last time I interrupt Steve, sorry. Okay. In the midst of, in the midst of in the midst of what's gone on, yep. the platoon commander's gone back and compassionate. Yeah, So you're down at the platoon commander. Yep. Who's taking over?
1: So we've got, um, on the ground was Grand Harris, who had just recently passed the cadre. He was the 2IC. He'd come in and, like I said, he'd been with the platoon a few months. <clears throat> um, two par- Ops Warrant Officer was uh, an ex-2PARA guy, Wags Wardle, Graham Wardle, awesome. So he was the Ops Warrant Officer on the ground. <coughs> so there was me and him on the ground and then back in lungi was a cqms uh, x1 para guy eddie Newell. so he was manning the rear he was manning the rear link so he had himself and four scalies back in the airport so they were doing our admin and then they were manning our our radio link our link was 24 we had a 24-hour listening watch on um so there's 26 of us in, on the ground in the jungle. Um, one para came in, about half eight. Again, about 30. Um, so they had the... Um, so it wasn't the platoon commander that brought them in. It was the company commander. So company commander, company sergeant major came in. About 28 blocks. They instantly took over our positions and um, and almost sort of... Basically, followed exactly what we were doing, so they they went, they kind of took over our battle trenches, um, and they were they'd set up a little VCP on the road at the entrance to the village, and they were generally going about their business um, as paratroopers do, zipping about all over, you know, getting a feel for the ground, and and again because we just didn't know what was going to happen next. It was one of those situations where the rebels could come back at any time.
0: So, uh, yeah, because they yeah, so on on the those initial contacts yeah. that before what was it determined that it was like a was that like almost like a forge like a sort of recce element to use the term we didn't yeah it could have didn't been they? a
1: probe i mean the, the, the thing is but you know prior i mean nobody had ever engaged the rebels we didn't fully understand what they were going to do prior to that they just steamrolled over everyone including the un they had such numbers we couldn't control who was coming in and out of the village so the biggest scare was how many of them had actually infiltrated the village. Had they done any recce? Had they had any eyes on? Had they plotted our positions? Was that a probe to test us? We just didn't know. Um, So, you know, as you do, prepare for the best, expect the worst and all that. Um That first night, we hoped that that was enough. You know, I mean, of course, we wanted them to come back in daylight because obviously then it... The advantage switches to us then, you know, we're trained marksmen, we're better shots, more disciplined, we've got ammunition now. Now Then it's a case of, you know, it's very easy to to pick people off. Um, So one para took over. We kind of took a breath then, you know, get around the blokes, we redistributed one ammo, we scrounged a little bit of ammo off the one para guys. So they um, so we're just rebombing blokes are just carrying out some admin while one parrot in effect took over the duties in the village it was at that point that we decided well you know if they're wounded if this animal is wounded if this animal is bleeding if it's animal is undisciplined then there is a very strong chance that we could catch it here um, and, and, and pretty much end the threat there and then so we took the decision to send out a fighting patrol from the village we would leave two guys in the village, which would be Grand Harris and, the, and, and, and our 216 guy, the radio op. And the 20 fuzz of, 24 would divide into two 12-man teams. I would take one. Wagwaddle would take the other one. And we would push out. Initially, we thought we'd push out to the, to the maximum range of the Klansmen's. All we had was three four nines.
0: Oh, so, right, okay.
1: That's all we had for inter-patrol radios so i mean 1.5k even that in the jungle we mm-hmm. all know comms are a, a terrible in the jungle so we thought we'll push out maximum loe limit of exploitation 1.5k we'll see what we can find it also doubled up as a bit of a clearance patrol if anything you know what because because of the vegetation and the folds in the ground and 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 the runs that were leading away is there could have been dead they could have been wounded there could have been anything there so a bit of a confirmation but also you know let's just go and give them another thumping if we can so cleared it with one pair and we set off Um, the village as we said initially was was dissected the main track that was running from the east of the country was from port loco that was really the, the the hive of rebel activity that was where they were basing themselves out of and they were making that journey west along the main track you know and this track was sort of what 20 feet wide hard and packed sand that was it it was called the port loco road but that was it so that was kind of our handrail so I kind of pushed about 150 meters north of it and wag and his team pushed 150 meters south of this track and then we kind of moved patrolled across this sort of cleared area that we'd got cutting down the villages to cut down to open up the fields of fire and after about six seven hundred meters we entered the canopy Um, now it wasn't completely cleared scrub and scrub but um, you could basically see so at that point for the first five six hundred meters i could see the other team moving you know sort of 300 meters to my to my right hand side yeah so we that was it we got we pushed into the jungle um like i said we hit the edge of the edge of the tree line after about 600 meters and then we kind of pushed in a little bit more And then you know and then you sort of we there were or we went at that point visibility was down to your usual jungle sort of 10 15 meters maximum um quite thick um quite dark as you can imagine a solid canopy cover so it wasn't a lot of light getting in um and we decided to push, and, and obviously they were just hand railing. We were hand railing the track, and they were, you know, the team off to the right were were just hand railing. And we, you know, we we were keeping in comms over the three one nine, just basically keeping pace with each other. Um, it was at that point probably about. Probably about one point two cane, so we pushed into the canopy about another six hundred metres.
0: How long did that take you? Uh, I think it was the jungle.
1: Um I mean it wasn't it wasn't Belize tight, dirty jungle that you get. It was it was probably somewhere between Belize and Brunei and for everyone that's ever been in Brunei, Brunei's nice and open. Brunei's more of a forest, isn't it? Than than that sort of primary and secondary jungle that you encounter in central america so it was some you know somewhere in between going was relatively okay um visibility was probably 10 to 15 meters um hmm. yeah so we probably took us about an hour nice Mm -hmm. and steady patrolling and again the idea was was to try and pick up blood trails and after and, and and sort of after that within that first 600 meters there was quite a lot of folds in the ground we nicknamed one "fern gully, believe it or not, as you do um like on, on the old uh, you know on the old sort of uh, on the old card um you know from your trenches and that because it was a major fold in the ground that led from the track, and we thought if anyone's going to get within a striking distance of us, they would come out of the jungle, drop into that fern gully, and then use that covered approach to get within about a hundred and fifty meters of the village. Um, so again, so when we dropped into that fern gully, you could see all the mushed up ground footprints where they'd been, where they'd been. Yeah. Um, and then once we entered the canopy, then we kind of seen all the vegetation that had been crushed. And, um, you know, there was a lot of sign there, you know, a lot of sort of, um, you know, ground sign where they'd been walking through a lot of stuff that had been broken.
0: Did it seem like, um, when, cause when you were in that, you know, a- that first night of battle and uh, you would have had a, and the morning after or, or during it, you would have had an idea, idea of their enemy strength. When you were going, pushing the jungle there and you saw the ground sign, did, uh, did, did it, did it look like there was more or less of what you thought judging by the ground sign? If it, you know, was it? How, I how mean, did, we it,
1: it were best guess We, we were told 2000. I don't think there was 2000. I think there was probably more in that, more in that sort of, low hundreds maybe maybe a hundred maybe 150 200 what, in that
0: attack on the first night yeah i think hell it could have been,
1: hell. Could have been. Mm. but again the, the the thing that happened for us is that almost as immediately as the attack began and and the gpmg's opened up i think that weight of initial fire i mean two gpmgs <clears throat> bearing down down that center of the track you know with two skilled operators you know that sort of cone of fire that must have been going down that very narrow track and into them into that sort of into where the camber dropped away. I mean, instantly, obviously, that the, the initial rebels just the, the, you know they were would have cacked themselves, mate. It's like yeah. when you were talking about running
0: yeah. over the UN and yeah. no one never put up a fight with them. You think mm. you think the, as from you know from our experience, mm. you think when a when a poor military unit infantry unit gets attacked. um, they're They, they, they're, they're like they're in shock. Their return fire, the return of fire, is just a cut of black and rounds, really ill coordinated, mate. You know, mm. you can't against any unit of the British army, you know, let, let alone the paras, You engage that unit. The weight of fire you get back within a split second may yeah. knock you flipping well, knock your head off. <laughs> it's I, I, a complete and, shock to the yeah, system. If not mean, experienced and, it before. And,
1: and, you know, I mean, I didn't serve in in, in Afghanistan, but but having read, you know, having read and, and talked to a lot of guys, the difference is, you know, where, where the difference is is that you know, as a trained marksman, as you're know, understanding the marksmanship principles, as you know, you are you are sort of completely in control of the weapon system you are disciplined you're only firing at what you can hit you're aiming off you're assessing strike you know there's a lot of coordinated fire i mean that's the dis that's the difference and in the process of stealing back momentum winning the firefight that's what we do well and that's the difference isn't it between going up against people that are massed in numbers but don't have that discipline. Don't. Probably the weapons are in shit state. You know. How quickly are they dealing with stoppages. Which is what happened to the first guy. He knelt or fired his weapon. Got a stoppage. And he paid the price. You know. So the difference there then. No matter what you're facing numbers wise. It's, it's It equals out very quickly. With, a, with, with the skill and the knowledge. And the experience of, of trained highly disciplined soldiers. Across the British Army isn't it. So. I think initially they got they got yeah. you know they were like wow this has never happened to us before we're taking vol you were, we're taking a massive accurate sustained rapid fire that's basically taking out people to the left and right of me I don't I've lost my stomach for this I think they kind of went to ground because we we measured it as they came three times so there was within that sort of contact period there was their initial sort of probe that we dealt with, and then almost a lull, then more movement and, con- and and another push. So almost let's give it a second go from the flanks. Because we were very, very exposed on the flanks. That was the danger. We had about a five, six hundred meter frontage. Because at that point we could see anybody moving to the flanks. So we had our two end patrols at the at the limit of, of where we could control. So anybody moving to the sort of left of our left-hand patrol and to the right of our right-hand patrol, we would see them. So if there was the sort of, you know, that sort of, if they were trying to engulf us and move around, you know, and envelop us, if you like, we would have been able to see it. So them two patrols were right out on a limb. And then, you know, we've got the two central patrols covering, one covering the main uh, suspected approach route and one covering the sort of only open area where they could mass... So when you've got that frontage and you've only got sort of 20 men in sort of four teams, that's a lot, that's a huge footprint to cover. Mm. So, again, and, and and I think when they sort of massed in them trees, when they must have done their initial wreckies, because let's not let's not kid ourselves, although they're, uh, you know, we call them rebels and all the rest of it, you know, they've... You've got Sierra Leone army soldiers that have deserted. You've got people that have, you know, may have some a modicum of understanding of tactics. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you treat everyone with the respect and the deserves until they prove otherwise, isn't it?
0: Um, yeah. So, you're uh, right. So, you're, you're 600, 600 meters in.
1: We were, yeah, so about we broke, yeah, we started seeing all the sign, and then it was, you know, and then where it was being trampled, then we started picking up the old blood trails and and, and, that. and that pretty much led us about a further 600 meters so at the 1.2 k now we're 1.2 k's in about 600 meters into the canopy 1.2 k's from the village we hit the first sign of the of of, of let's call it civilization mud huts because <clears throat> prior to that we hadn't pushed out that our clearance patrols had only been pushing out you know sort of to the edge of the edge of the area uh, to the edge of the canopy um and again everything suggested to us that that's the way that they would come so all of our focus was on that area to the front of the village where the track left the jungle and then was at about 500 meters into the village on the radio then to the opposite side talking to Wag, and they did they hit a village as well so what we think it was well in fact what it was was five or six buildings on the sort of north of the track and then two larger buildings on the on the south of the track so almost as if another village area had been split by the track 600 meters into the canopy but i mean this wasn't like the village we were living in that you know this was like really really basic basic structures you know um with no sort of I mean the structures we were in, you know, were the, the village that we were in had it, been taken time. There was a track plan in the village, you know. There was there was an element of manoeuvrability in there, and people had lived there for some time.
0: So this new one was a bit hastily constructed. So uh,
1: no, what? I think it's been no, it'd been there. It had obviously been there at some time, oh. it, it, but it just wasn't un- to the level of the, the yeah. of, of Longie I think it was just people that just. you know know, decided to throw up a little bit of a structure to to offer some sort of protection um for them against the elements um typical sort of six six or seven huts on this side so i'm on the radio talking to wag told him we'd found something he'd gone he'd found something so at that point we kind of said right well we'll go firm. And in 15 minutes, giving each other the sort of QBOs, in 15 minutes, to avoid a blue-on-blue, we'll both push into the village at exactly the same time. So, you know, any noise off to my sort of, to my right, I know who it is. Um, So that's what we've done on the radio, very quickly coordinated, 15 minutes, and then we'll push into the village at the same time, simultaneously. Um, So again, so we're sort of like laid now, just, you know, probably about 50 metres from the structures in the jungle, um these structures there was a slight area cleared around it, central fire pit um smoke coming from the fire, so that you know the fire was relatively relatively new um, so we just we just sort of from that point there just plotted how we were going to move into the village, you know, broke the guys down, moved the two guns, we had two jimpees, put the two gympees in, moved them forward to provide a base of fire. <laughs> Broke the guys down into four two man assault teams, a uh, bit of a command element with me, uh, and that's what we were going to do. So four assault teams, two guys on the jimpie and me and a and 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 a, and a runner stroke, pepper pop,
0: pepper pot pepper a,
1: forward. Yeah, that's exactly what it was, mate. It was going to be two guys, a bit of uh, a bit of room combat, you know. Two assault teams, um, so assault teams one through four um, going in, bouncing between structures. You know very fast there was no sign of anybody there was no noise at all Um, to all intents and purposes it looked abandoned but we didn't know we just didn't know what was inside experience over the sort of last 10 days had told us that, that you know civ pop was just hiding from everybody you know so we didn't know if there was civilians inside we didn't know if there was wounded rebels inside we didn't know if there was rebels still there inside getting the head down so it was a bit of a. It was a bit of a. You know, we didn't quite understand what was what we would be facing. Um, so H hour, Fifteen minutes later, simultaneously, my four teams go in, and the four teams in the southern area go in to clean their building. <clears throat> and it's very rapid, very quick, guys. You know, kicking in, kicking in the wooden door. You know, the the, the rooms were no bigger than sort of, I don't know, two meters be two meters. Dark, dingy, no light. um, Very claustrophobic. You know, guys in there, straight in, door open, trying to get some light in there. Obviously, there's no torches. Trying to get some light in there. um, Make sure there's nothing in there, no threat, and then moving on to the next building. It's very quick. It's very fluid. Lots of communication. Lots of screaming and shouting, as you can imagine. And um, yeah, and as the guys were going through, this is when they were finding. So there was finding boxes and um of and link lots of 762 link lying about not British you know sort of RPD link um couple of AK forty seven magazines couple of piles of, of ammunition here and there um <clears throat> blood blood mate um you know pools of congealed blood um so yeah it was I mean it was evident that they'd obviously took a hit, pushed back into the jungle, tried to regroup, sort themselves out. Um, I don't suppose for one minute they have the loyalty that we have. So I think the people who were capable had obviously uh, 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 had gone and withdrawn and anybody wounded or or on the brink of death had, uh, were pretty, probably pretty much left to themselves. Um, nobody's on. Nobody's. That whole thing, I reckon that we were no more than 15 minutes to clear that. 10 minutes 15 minutes to get a real good idea of what we were looking at consolidated ourselves on that point so we're now gone firm in on, on that sort of northern group of, of of huts and it was the same on the south wagon and, and and the and the southern team had gone firm reported in pretty much the same as us lots of destruction lots of sort of stuff lying about bit of weaponry a couple of AK47s had been abandoned um but not but but nobody um so on the radio we said right let's push on i mean we told the radio operator and and grand back in the um back in the in the village that we would push on about 1.2k 1.5 max but at this point you know your adrenaline's pumping you can imagine it you know we're like right it doesn't end here let's keep going so we decided to push on another key. So we took on the decision, to push on about another key. Yeah, <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know what you like. It's a long way in the jungle, mate. It's a, it's a long way. way in the jungle.
1: It's a long way in the jungle. Yeah, I know. But you know, we were, you know, we were in control of the situation, and and you're in your element then, aren't you? You know, it's small team tactics. It's it's disciplined. It's stealth movement. You know, it's eyes on stocks. It's everything that the Lerp School and everything that the tracking courses and everything that we do. I mean, I'd been to the jungle about seven times by then on various training courses. So, you know, like you and I suppose everybody else out there that love the jungle and and there's a feel about it, isn't there? And, and And I think when you're confident in your abilities and the guys, it doesn't really matter who you're up against. And especially in the jungle, because it's a bit of a leveler. You know, the jungle is neutral and all those classic scenes. Um yeah, so we pushed on. Um same thing again, lots of ground sign, blood spatter, um yeah, the old drag mark where where someone's dragged a foot, heel print. Um but nothing. Nothing. No bodies, no real ev- I mean evidence of movement and a direction of travel, but nothing to suggest that we were gonna come across anyone. Um, Obviously, the great disappointment of everyone. <laughs> yes, please, mate. Um, yeah. Good tea in there. I think you know. Just put it over the top. Okay, go on. Yeah, go on, mate. Yeah. Um, cheers, Streaky. Streaky? Yeah, <laughs> you know. Ow. We use him as a gopher. He goes for this, goes for that. You need to get Mac Vicar on DVD. <laughs> <laughs> <Fight>. <laughs> anyway, <coughs> so we push in... And that's it. I mean, I'm talking on the other side of the. Uh, I'm talking on the other side of the to, to the team to our south, um, and that was it. We hit, we hit that loe. We, so we're now two point five k's in. Pointless pushing on any further. To be perfectly honest, I mean that, that might have just been a you know a, a bit too a bit too much. But um, so we agreed to to sort of. Pushed to the track, so I kind of turned south and we headed to the track. They headed north. And we kind of just RV'd on the track, um, either side of it, myself and, uh, and and Wag. We had a bit of a head-to-head, discussed what we were going to do. Told each other what um, what we'd found. And at this point, it was decided that what we would do in effect now would, would just extend. So if you imagine, we're now looking back. The track sort of the axis, if you like. 2.5 Ks is the village. We said, right, well, what we'll do now is we'll, let's just make this a 360. Let's just start kind of widen the search, swing round on the way back, just to make sure that... Um, check yeah, those flanks. Yeah, check the flanks, just make sure there's nothing, no nasty surprises. Um, and let's just, you know, let's just make a, a job of clearing what we can. The good thing about it was, and you remember in the first podcast, I told you so, that off to the sort of south of the village was this abandoned railway line. Um so Wag obviously said, "Well, what I'll do is I'll continue to push further south and see if I can hit that railway line, and then we'll'll we'll, we'll follow the railway line back in, and again, because that's a great mobility corridor, if anyone had used it and got off to the flank, then inevitably with any sense, they're going to be moving quickly up and down that mo motor- up and down that um that railway line so he did that um i got my guys brief them back up and we kind of then we kind of turned face the track and then we start swinging back towards the village um nice and steady you know kind again about an hour and a half back patrolling back through didn't really come across anything to be perfectly honest and um you know back in sight of the village and and, and move back in we had a, a, a code word with a with the one para of guys who were technically now manning stag that we were coming back in um so we got back into the village Wags, wags's team had moved down the track found a couple more ak-47s so that was another three another three ak-47s plus the ammunition that we'd got so there's obviously a lot of dropping stuff going on you know whether it was in the moment or
0: did you take it back in with you? you yeah, have, yeah, we the took all, fact, yeah,
1: everything yeah. went back in. <clears throat> yeah. yeah, everything went back in. Um, so we're now back in the village. That was probably, I'd say it was about half one, one half, one. Something like. We'd been gone about two and a half hours, about two and a half hours. That's total. good
0: going, mate, for that distance.
1: Yeah, yeah. It, it light scales though, yeah, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, you know yeah, what yeah. I mean? And, um, you know, you're picking your way through. Uh, and as I said, it isn't it isn't Belize. It was kind of, you know, a little bit more maneuverability in there. You know what I mean. So to be honest, it, th- that that was all right. That was probably normal patrol pace. I think, you know, um, yeah, uh, you know, yeah. So it it was steady enough. Um, so we're back in the village. Uh, what was the next thing? I suppose the next thing was the CO coming in so co1 para came in uh got a message on the radio so his he came in with his with the co's group um about two o'clock so we hadn't been back in the village long we had been back about half an hour an hour tops um and yeah and the co's group came in um the one para Company commander went down to meet them. We had two LSs, if you imagine. So if you imagine now the frontage of the village where we where we'd had all the engagements, to the rear of the village, so away from the likely threat, was where we were going to bring the QRF in. So that was about 250, 300 metres um, outside the village towards the airport, so away from any threat. Off to the flank and slightly behind the village was a large open sandy area and that was the resupply. So anything that was coming in resupply was gonna get brought into that HLS. And that's where CO's group came in. First thing obviously we knew of it was the Chinook landed and then um, he he walked up through the village with the uh, with the O C of the, 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 the um the one power platoon um usual people in his group plus um you know the rest of the pf guys who had been in the airport so they came out as well so uh at the time the oc so our, our sort of command of the platoon at that point had passed to mark jackson jacko's son prince of darkness Oh, Mike Jackson. Yeah, son. Oh, I didn't know. I didn't even know he was serving. Mark Jackson. Yeah, Mark had been one para, and then uh, sorry, was Matt Yeah, Mark was one para. He did two years as a as a two IC the PF. He'd then gone back to one para, obviously. When I, when when we when the OC had gone had left country, he took over command, if you like, of the of of, of, of the platoon, and he was managing it back from Lungilol, oh. uh, from Lungiloy, the airport. So he came in with, with Eddie and, and and the signaler guys. Um CO walked round, got a lie of the land, got the brief off the OC, uh, you know, from a one power perspective, and then came and talked to us. I mean he was he he was bouncing, mate. I mean let's put things in perspective here. Although he'd sent us, and it, it subsequently turns out when Brigadier Richards came in the next day, the idea to put us in such an isolated position, bereft of any real support was the brigadier's call and my subsequent conversations with david richards obviously in uh, with him writing his own book um you know we've had some good conversations about the decision to isolate us and the ramifications of 26 guys being surrounded and and and, and that um and again for the co as well a big call to put us out there and leave us kind of in that position so he came out mate he was bouncing you know i've made the right decision you know well done pf and 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 all that and um and, and pretty happy sent a very clear message you know we're here to stay the mission evolved people were now out of freetown the role of one par had morphed into, uh, into more into sort of... It had gone from a from a neo-operation, a non-combatant evacuation operation, to almost a coin operation. So we'd now gone counter-insurgency. We're propping <coughs> up the government, uh, President Kaba's government. And um, what we didn't know at that time is, as we were having that contact on the 17th of May, in the afternoon of the 17th of May, the leader of the IUF, de Sankey, was captured in an intelligence operation in Freetown. So he'd been arrested at the same time, pretty much. Um whether that had anything to coincidence, I don't think so. I think it would they just they just got him at the same time. So wind on a little bit more and that's kind of the IUF a bit decapitated now. So with what happened with us kind of really given them this blow the realization that one power were on the ground and you know if, if this was going to happen when we face 26 guys what's going to happen if we try to take on 800 we've lost sort of four to thank let's say he was the brains of the outfit um i think that's just what what led them to descend into chaos they broke down into smaller factions into rivalry and i think as a potent force the iuf probably collapsed as a result of those two Two actions happening simultaneously, um, but to get back to the next day that that sort of you know Paul Gibson had pretty much sat us down and said, "Look, guys, you've gotta stay. I'm going to leave you here um you know even when you poke a hornet's nest, you know what I mean he kind of realized that that wasn't the end of it, I think um the o c the one para guys was wanting to stay because the realization is what it would turn into. And i think it goes back to the original reasons why the pf were put there um you know the ability to e and e through the jungle um the ability to, to to operate in in small teams independent of each other was the reason why i think that we stayed and and and, and, the, and the decision to, to take the one power away was um so they were told that they would stay till the next morning so they'd been on the ground they'll be on the ground 24 hours and they would go out the next day if you like. Um, at that point, CEO said, I'm going to support you with whatever I can now. Um, so we just knocked up a wish list, you know, as you do, more ammunition, mores if they're in country, HE for the 51. And we went, be bold. We went bold and, and asked for three barrels. <laughs> what, 51s? No, three eighty one. Oh, you
0: got 81s. Oh, yeah. so you-
1: we asked for three. We didn't know if we would get them.
0: That's the yeah. We, oh no, the whole the battalion has 9 then doesn't the it? The battalion oh, has nine, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Um, so we asked for three. We didn't know if we'd get them. Um, we took the opportunity then uh, throughout that sort of day. So this is the day, uh, the day of the contact. Now we're now in the day, like to kind of sort ourselves out, get some sleep. One para took over all responsibility for the village for that period. You know, so they were manning, checkpoints, manning the checkpoints, uh, manning the trenches, doing their little bit of clearance patrols. That gave us a chance to admin, you know, clean weapons, um, get a little bit of kip, uh, you know, sort ourselves out and basically prepare for staying in the village. Uh, words of the CEO, I have no idea how long you're going to be here now. Just prepare to remain here until the end of the task, if you like.
0: As isolated Uh, as you were before. As isolated as
1: where we were before. Nothing had really changed. We hadn't been strengthened. We just asked for more ammunition. uh, And that was it. Um, CEO stayed. A couple of hours. Had a look on the ground. Shook everybody's hand. Pat on the back. And left. Um, We stayed on the ground, as I said. One para took over duties. And uh, and we prepared for that night. Everybody thinking that if they were going to come back, it would be now. Um, So straight into the nighttime routine we've now got what 56 60 56 to 60 guys on the ground i'm pretty sure there was about 30 of one para you know all in the defense we still had the 10 was it 10 or 12 nigerians remember we still had them we'd stuck them at the back of the village in two trenches um well out of the way strict instructions not to move only point their weapons towards Lungie Airfield, never move, never get out the trench, never fire back into the village. (laughs) (laughs) Because the last thing we wanted was them with with their weapons running riot in the village, firing what is in effect 7.62. You know, in the dark, you have no idea. We'd brief the villagers. If it all goes loud, don't come out your hut. Don't move around in the village because we don't know who's friend or foe and you're going to get engaged so they didn't. I mean, the girl got shot. I think as making a mad dash between two huts. Possibly the girl who got it in the shoulder. But to be honest, no, the villagers got shot, which, which was absolutely amazing. Absolutely, I have no idea how. It, how?
0: Um, but just, just, to, just to point out on this, the, the, the. the, the girl got shot by the rebels yeah, <laughs> and, oh, you're, yeah, yeah and you're yeah. saying it's amazing if you get shot by the rebels yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. no yeah, she,
1: yeah. she she must have yeah, just yeah. took a stray around flying to, i mean because obviously there's no there's no weapon discipline they're firing high they're firing low they're firing into in, in, everything that they can see within the village um you know as a, and it goes back to my point possibly indiscriminate you know the whole holding on to it yee firing from the hip in bursts of automatic I'd like to think that that's that that's what they were doing. There wasn't no cold, calculated marksmanship principles being applied. Um, So that's where we were that night. um, You know, dark. You know, usual screams. Village very quiet. People just in the hut sleep. And again, massive amount of people in the centre of the village just sleeping rough. Um, who, who you know who, who'd come in for safety for safety mate yeah I reckon there was over a thousand people <clears throat> in, in, in something that you could the whole village you would put on Red Square back in the battalion do you know what I mean it was a tiny piece of real estate um, that took us to the next day um, so it was about 11 o'clock mid-morning I remember but about mid-morning Shouldn't have come in to take the one para guys out. Um, at the same time, ramp goes down. Ammunition's coming off for us that we'd requested. Great. Off the back comes 11 one para guys and 381s. We oh. didn't think we were going to get them, awesome. we just put a wish list in. <clears throat> so we've now got 381s with about a hundred rounds per barrel.
0: Do you have H E this time? Oh
1: yeah they had H E. <laughs> yeah. So of course, you know, you get that warm, fuzzy feeling now, don't you? Um So the one para lads the, the the platoon of one para got on and left. We've now got thirty uh, we've now got eleven guys and, 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 and three barrels with us. Um we got the guys, got the guys in and, and then we just left up, to, we briefed the, uh, the the MFC that came in, told him exactly what had happened and, and, and pretty much left him to sight the mortars. Um, and as you know, with a speed of a thousand gazelles, those, you know, the guys are digging in, they're getting sandbags, they're getting the mortar line established um the mfc sat with us we're looking at the ground we're picking off all of the points where we thought they must likely approach routes, any area that we couldn't cover with fire um and of course he just he just recorded them so they all got their x-ray numbers and i think there was about 11 spots on the ground around the village various ranges um i think it's really important at this point that we kind of highlight that you know, this it, this isn't open war fighting. This wasn't a uniformed enemy that we could identify. Civ pop moving in from lots of villages, people coming from every different direction, walking, coming out of the jungle and onto the track, using the track, coming up in old battered vehicles. The use of 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 mortar eighty one ha at this point, we, we were we were kind of really sort of thinking that how are we going to how are we going to use this there has to be some very clear here you've got to confirm that there's people with weapons must you're taking fire from a particular point before we start you know d- dropping 81 millimeter he on top of this
0: because the collateral
1: will be well like, i mean yeah, yeah and you, we just it, it, you know and it, it, it's it's very sort of restrictive
0: i don't know 81 if i'm correct in saying is it 40 meter radius lethal radius oh so from the point that i when the point of the round goes off on the ground, forty meter radius, so what eighty meter diameter? Yeah, I that's mean, a lethal. So if you yeah, get hit there, yeah, that's uh, lethal. Uh,
1: yeah, I mean I think and that goes. I mean that that might even push out to splinters, splinters and fragmentation at a hundred. Oh, 100, it goes on beyond. That. I, yeah, mean, I think it doubles, Yeah, yeah. yeah. And plus massive. that, if you are yeah. dropping that in amongst <clears throat> trees and and all the rest of it, it's, yeah. you know, it, it's it, it's seeing it land. I mean, we and again, you know, you're back to the old days of, I mean, you know when was the last time the British Army dropped mortars in a jungle environment, in the canopy where adjusting is, you know, that's, um, so again, most of the, most of the DFs were recorded out in the open, track junctions, fern gully, places where we thought they'd mass the the railway line, and then obviously the big one, if we were going to get overrun, the sort of FPF was us. Um, Again, very, very strict on that, you know, the MFC said, I'll fire the FPF, but that pretty much means we've been overrun. The mortars are no more used here, and that call obviously needed to come from Grant. Um, we factored them into the E and E plan. The idea—remember, we had one pins gower. The idea at this point was that the last thing we want is three mortar barrels and 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 300 rounds of he and a loom falling into the wrong hands so the whole e and e plan was you know if it becomes untenable if we're surrounded if we're suddenly becoming engulfed and and it's looking like we can't win the day um at that point the mortars you collapse everything on the pins and you 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 get yourself out of dodge as fast as possible we'll make our way with our originally and e on foot as, as as best we can um so so that was it mortars up and running um bit of an update from the bit of an update because again we had the ew ew was in then you know mobile the, the electronic, electronic warfare, warfare guys were in you know you know that the, you know the the, the 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 spooks were operating out of out of um free town you know by that stage you know the the informer network and all the rest of it's up and running and um so we're getting a bit more of an in, in update, you know, because I believe most of their comms was mobile phones, Rebels, so a bit of an update. Um, and that was it. We just prepared ourselves. So we're now at, so that was day, so we're probably on day 11 now. We're on day 11 um, and they stayed with us um, till day 16. Um, nothing ever happened. Lots of noises, lots of movement. That first night that they were in, we put up—I think we put up 52 loom rounds or something ridiculous. Lots of movement. So basically, the, the the sort of the the brief was: patrol commanders, anybody sees anything, you call for a loom. They would fire a loom if we could identify. If we could identify anybody, then then we would switch to HE, or a loom. But again, it was the looms or movement. Shadows, noises, Um, again, everyone's on edge, aren't they? You know, we just didn't know what to expect, Um, nothing. All quiet, kind of an anti-climax, to be perfectly honest. So we've gone from that initial adrenaline, pumping, action, nothing on the sort of fighting patrol, but getting out there, still keeping up that momentum, getting the mortars in, hoping for round two and nothing. So that sort of next five days, was pretty much routine. It was pretty much presence on the ground. The good thing about it is being a coin operation, we're now completely sort of hearts and minds. And anybody that sort of has that sort of understanding of coin operations, coin operations only work when you're providing a blanket of security you know, surging troops in and out of areas, very sort of what the Americans were doing in Somalia and places like that. And Mogadishu is that like, if you're surging in and out, you're not creating the conditions for security and confidence. Us being on the ground with the villagers allowed them to think that they're we were going to be able to fight for them. There was this constant blanket of security and they got on with their life, to be honest. The village came back to life. It was a trading post um, and there was some semblance of normality at this point remember when i told you that we thought that we were going to be relieved by 4-2 commando Mm -hmm. the idea was that the brigade patrols troop bpt so the marines version of the pathfinders was going to relieve us or at least the recce platoon from 4-2 4-2 had sailed on hms ocean they were now off freetown we thought they were going to they were going to relieve us so that's what we were expecting Day 15, radio message in the afternoon, you're withdrawn en masse tomorrow morning, 08.30, helicopter from resupply, HLS, that was it. Of course, no mention of resupply, we all know where a relief in places, you don't leave until the relieving troops are in, they're brief, they understand the ground, they're in your positions, and then you withdraw. It became very evident at that point that there wasn't anybody coming into the village. Whatever decision had been made, whatever troops were available, whatever other taskings had happened outside of the village, nobody was going to come to the village. As you can imagine, we'd been there 16 days. Blokes, you know, kids, they were playing with the kids now, and, uh, they, you know, they, they were they were getting our water for us. They were teaching the blokes how to cook scoff and preparing scoff while we were stagging on. Um, there was that real great heart and minds, and... Um, you know, we actually started knowing people by their names. Um, so when we got the message that we were going to go, uh, it was kind of the unenviable task of Grant and Wag. They went to speak to the to the village elder and basically let him know that we were leaving. And, of course, his first thing was, through through Lieutenant Mojo, uh, the translator, was that, who's going to come? Who's going to relieve you? No one. Blokes were gutted. It was it was heart wrenching, mate. To be perfectly honest, absolutely heart wrenching. I
0: suppose the worry was that um, you would leave, and then the rebels would come in at some stage, massacre the fucking village for for having cooperated. Yeah, in uh, uh, you know, not that they had the choice of you coming in, but they welcomed it. Is that I think that that's the worry. Yeah, I mean,
1: well, it's it's exactly the same mentality as as uh, you know as as Afghanistan. And I said I didn't serve in Afghanistan, but the mentality there is that. You know, you have the watches, we have the time type sketch. At some point, you're going to leave. All they got to do is sit and wait it out, which is, you know, which 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 is sort of, you know, what we were thinking, you know, why would the school bully, why did not the school bully just wait and wait and wait until whoever's protecting the playground leaves and then he's free to come back in and do what he wants? That was probably the thought at the time, very similar to what you've just said there, mate, is that... You poke a hornet's nest uh, with a stick, and what are you going to expect? Um, so, yeah, it was pretty devastating, mate, to be honest. A really difficult time, them them sort of hours. Patrol commander's not very happy, very vocal. Not a lot you can do, mate. Yeah. Um, so we spent that last night, 9.15, in the jungle, 8 o'clock the next morning. So, again, we had a vehicle. We couldn't get it on the Chinook. So, basically, I tasked one of the patrols take the vehicle on, well, you know, get his patrol on the vehicle and drive it back. Again, there's always a risk if we have been sort of enveloped and move around us. It's a bypass policy. We would do it, wouldn't we? If there was a stronghold, you just bypass it and move on. If they're not on, if by bypassing them, you don't lose anything tactically. So we didn't know what was that sort of 35 kilometres between us and the airfield. Um, so they set off. Chinook came in and we kind of walked down the sort of central street now, you know, wherever many there was left of us. So there was 20 of us, six had gone on the vehicle, 20 of us plus the 11 guys with all the kit. It was like those days walking into Pristina. Everyone's lying in the street watching you, wondering what you're doing, where you're going. Um, And the next thing we're on a Chinook, flying over the village 16 days to, you know, with exactly that same with that thought that thought in your mind is what is going to happen totally expecting to here that the village was on fire sometime a few hours later mm. so that was us mate on route back to lungie airfield um 35 minutes later we're on the ground walking off the back to, to 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 that hive of activity um the same as what it was when we'd left 16 days before um we got in debriefed by that stage as inevitably everything that ever happens once things dies down everything goes to peacetime reporting so you're now accounting for ammunition you're now trying to justify how much is gone where it's gone how much you had well we didn't know you know of course we didn't reckon when we got it in there and then you resupply but you know then the questions where's all the ammo what ammo's gone how much was fired and um it's not no it's it's no fault of the battalions it's just it's just the way the the the, the system is isn't it the battalion now has to account for everything it's got it's used um got with this mate yeah i can yeah i mean it's just so that was us debrief and we're now you know we're now we're now sort of mid-morning on that day haven't done a debrief cleaning the kit deathly silence among the blokes. Um just wondering A, how long? what's happening now how long are we going to be here what's the next task waiting for the next task um to be told probably the next day is that we were we were going back UK. elements from One Power so if you imagine uh, One Power battle group one of the companies air company didn't deploy because they were in Kenya so when One Power deployed <laughs> oh, yeah but they got barrassed didn't they
0: Ah, uh, the next yeah. year. We
1: go, we go. So a company weren't on that op. So uh, two para supplied a rifle company to, to to sort of plug the gap within the battle group. So within 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 us being back in Lungi Airfield, twenty four hours, the first the first Herc transport aircraft out there back to Dakar um, went. So two para went first um, with elements of the PF. so as so we were probably back in that airfield 24 36 hours tops and we were back heading back to the UK I think we were in country for well definitely less than 28 days I'd say we were in country in fact we were probably in country 16 18 22 days 22 days something like that Um, yeah and we were back uh, you know back to uh, back to UK
0: well then did it um did it feel like uh, let's go back at that point what you'd achieved there on that in two thousand was 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 uh was pretty was was unique for that time um you know the type of operation it was mpf going on and 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 like Given, given the the rebels that bloody knows being involved in an engagement, um, type of engagement, thatn't been for fucking years, mate. Did it feel like uh, as you we were talking about there leaving the village? Did it feel like a bit of um, uh, sense of you achieved a lot of experience on the ground, you know, within P F, especially with the, with the contacts, but uh, a lack of a uh, a lack of achievement, practically, in a sense, achievement. For what you'd brought to Freetown, what you brought, uh, um, Lungi Lay. Well, I mean, yeah. So sort of to look at it, then. I'm um, not. I'm not saying it. Was, I'm not saying you didn't achieve it. It's not. It's no, just, I mean I'm, it, it I'm wasn't measurable. What I'm trying to think in my mind yeah. is all all the stuff I all all the, the ops I've been on. Yeah. Um, I've been there for a significant period of time, and it's and it's gone on, and, and so there's a plan, and we we go towards some way towards achieving that plan, strategy, whatever it may be, as part of the overall campaign. So I've always managed to get that. I've not had to deal with this thing. what the fuck were you here for, and and I, so I'm just thinking from a third person, what was it like being that? Because for me, I don't know how I'd cope with that, mate. Like it's such a short deployment, albeit high, highly kinetic in, in parts, and very fluid for the whole thing. And then to be off the ground almost as quick as you were on there, hmm. what? Well, yeah, what was that? what was it like? What was it? Well, it goes back to
1: to what you said. There isn't no, there wasn't no measurable, there wasn't no measurable sort of end state at that point. Yeah, but it's only when you come back and we, we sort of. So the first thing we've done, obviously, is looking to make sure that the village was never attacked again. Uh, and, and so we're trying to get information when you go back to yeah, the UK. Yeah, so we're, we're you know we're trying to get post op reports. We're trying to get information back from obviously four two commando. Then we're in situ. Nobody came into the village. They didn't replace us. Four two commander decided that they didn't have anyone to put in the village because of it was so isolated. They didn't put anybody in. Okay. Um So But it was afterwards, it, it was only afterwards when we kind of fully absorbed what it was. And, and and let's put so on short notice, a task force from the UK went and stopped incredible brutality in its tracks. We evacuated not only British personnel, but obviously, uh, you know, entitled personnel from a range of other countries. So they were taken out. The country was stabilized to a certain degree. So the belligerents in all of this, the RUF at the time, were, were I'd like to say, were disemboweled. Mm-hmm. So the head was taken off. Foto mm-hmm. was removed. Such a, uh, stopped in their tracks from advancing later subsequently and and again from from all the briefs afterwards they kind of collapsed and became almost impotent and went back to what they were was just street gangs which obviously subsequently then rise to you know was how the west side boys elevated themselves in number one position um so from an operational point of view Highly, su- highly, highly successful. successful, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, t- t- for a battle group to move and 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 from from a start line and twenty four days later to have achieved so much, um, I think was and and it goes back. And I had this conversation with with David Richards, Brigadier Richards, when he became chief of the defence staff. Was that it? W- it's now been it's now been touted as a textbook intervention operation. The textbook <laughs> intervention. Operation. Apart
0: from the forty rounds at the
1: start. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I mean,
0: absolutely right. But, yeah.
1: but 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 again, but but even if you look at that, okay, yeah, the we so I'm the, joking, the yeah, joking, yeah no, yeah, but yeah, I'm yeah. saying, but but everything has a everything has everything happens so that we can grow and develop and all the rest of it. So okay, whatever lessons we learn that on the combat service support side, but again. You know, troops on the ground, making the best of it, securing, you know, doing what we do best. Um, The whole British Army, that sort of force for good. Everything that makes the British Army and and its supporting elements. I mean, don't forget, you know, you you know, so we had the Chinook flights and they made the longest helicopter transit ever. Um, You know, we've got. You know, H.M.S. Ocean, the Navy being redirected and making their way at full steam. So that whole sort of tri-service testing of the of of, of the British services led to something that our allies, including the Americans, have have subsequently said could not have been done. Mm. So you know, take it that for the bloke's point, being in the jungle, the British Army had never fought in the jungle since the Malaya conflict and the Malaya emergency. So that was forty-five years we'd never fought in the jungle for 45 years yet we practice there because it's the place to hone your skills and if you can fight and survive and admin yourself in the jungle as we know that's why it's used on 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 every kind of course and it, it, you know it's part of you, you know the selection process for everybody is that you go there to confirm your skills um so for us as a unit we, we you know sops which you know we all know you don't change sops unless you've had that operationally experience to adjust it so we learned as a unit we learned a lot of lessons ourselves about how we react what we should hold in store you know where people should be at certain times it 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 highlighted what other courses need to be done so for us when we sat down and looked at the lessons learned element of it and and, and, and drafted up the sort of post-op report for us it was a it was a very sort of very detailed objective look at us as a unit, and I think for us it was a very pivotal moment in the in the evolution of the of the p f
0: yeah you mentioned that on the last podcast, just to go back when I was talking about um i didn't want to play it down there we was talking about the uh the how, how did you deal with that what, what was that like the, i meant like the sort of the mental aspect mm. talking about the civvies and leaving them there I, I wasn't talking about the whole thing. Yeah. I, I didn't mean, I didn't, in case it came across, I didn't mean to no, insinuate no, the fucking me. thing wasn't successful. No, I, was, no. I was meaning to coin ops. You were talking a lot about hearts and minds and, and, and so I just wanted to make that point. But um, yeah, you mentioned that on, on the last podcast about, you mentioned briefly about, you, you felt that it was a, a pivotal moment for PF. What I what I like from listening to you, mate, now and before, what I like about that op is, um, is the risks that the battle group were willing to take um, which I, which I think those risks that were, that the, the British forces were willing to take with people's lives to, on operations, w- 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 was reduced over the time since, since I left in 2011. And it came less and less and less. They were less willing to, to risk lives in favour of tactics and strategy because that's what needs to be done. Which, which, which is, as you know, mate, from that op, you, you gotta, You've got to put faith in the ability of, of the people you've got on the ground. Um, whether, you, uh, whether you think they're as capable as they should be or not, sometimes, regardless, you have to put the faith in it and, and, and put risk out and put people on the ground like you were 35 kilometres into the jungle with no fucking support, mate, and then you get bumped <laughs> mm. <laughs> on that first night to, to be able to achieve. Because if that hadn't happened, well... PF would really give the REF a bloody nose, and then caught and be partially cause cause the, the downfall of them, along with the um, the uh, leader getting caught in Freetown. And you guys, a PF now wouldn't be the force they are now. Arguably, hmm. fair to say. Yeah, I, 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 absolutely. I mean, you know, I, and it goes back to the whole
1: sort of thing of the the, the strength, our strength. Um, you know. You can't have an army of of eighty three thousand p pe- of, of eighty three thousand people and be such a force. I mean, yeah, okay. Don't get me wrong. The battle group was overextended. There's no doubt about it. It was overextended. Was there mission creep? Absolutely. Did it evolve into something else? Absolutely. Um, did Brigadier Richards take risks on the ground? Absolutely. Um, could it have all gone pear shaped? incredibly but again it goes back to that as you've touched on there mate is the ethos that sort of what we do better than anyone else and what we do better than anyone else mate, is we have is mission command that sort of decentralization of the decision making process you get your mission so you get the you get the, the specified task but you don't get the implied and that's where you know, commanders on the ground, everything from our lands corporals, you know, our great thinking Toms all the way to our lands corporals to our section commanders making operational decisions in pursuit of the, you know, in line with the intent. Um, and that's what happened on the ground. Lots of people making very sort of informed decisions, short on resources, but high on capability. And I think that OP, I think that OP served the British Army and all of its and and, and uh, you know that linkage between the other services, but I only seen it from from the sort of mil- sort, sort of from the army point of view we didn 't get involved we didn 't you know short of using the Chinooks to get in and out we didn 't have a lot to do with the uh, the air force element, and we never saw uh, the marines so i can 't understand what the naval element for. I just understand the big picture of of what it took to move and position those pieces so that there was you know one para could be relieved and Four two could come in and then subsequently all the short-term training team tasks that went on leading up to up to barris and the royal irish is that people on the ground you know taking command of the of the country getting people trained up you know re-establishing infrastructure and and, and, and leadership and a rule of law um, so personally mate upon reflection and when we came back i think it was difficult to handle that we just you know it was a very long time before you stopped thinking that something was going to happen to them villages um but we were subsequently you know all the time reassured that the village and it wasn't it was never attacked again it was it would it it remained let's say peaceful which which brings a certain amount of sort of you know a certain amount of closure to it to to that um to that element you know to, to that final chapter is that we flew out and they all got to live their life in peace, which was
0: yeah. And something uh, um, reminding me of something I've I've, uh, I've had a lot of discussions with <clears throat> on the podcast and off around you know what was the point of Afghan and the campaign in Iraq and that kind of thing. And one of the one of the things I've said is, um, you, you know, even if you have to stay there in Sierra Leone for like a, I don't know a year. Two years, or whatever. It's very difficult to change it completely for the to be as best as it can be. Oh no, to be as as good as you know, first world is right. But then, if you're able to go into a into a, um as part of an operation, you're able to go into a village or or villages or a town, or you know, have another positive impact. And even if that positive impact is is simply um, representing uh, a, an ethical, morally. Um, correct individual from a different country i.e british soldiers in a village on the on the on the fringes of a free town um who have never come across you know you guys before um or the british before in that capacity but they have with the un and things and you go on there you make a good impression and you you know you're not flipping raping and pillaging like crazy forces are right Then that's a good thing mate you know yeah you can't stay there and 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 make sure they're all right for the, for the next year until the RAF or two years, three years until the RUF are completely gone or the rebels are completely gone. You can never do that anyway. But it's still a positive impact in that short term and that's better than nothing, right? Um, and that's just from the, you know, the, the coin-ops, and minds perspective. Uh, and I suppose that's something that um, is, a, is, a, is a way of looking at any campaign like that, I think, or operation like that, I think.
1: You know. Yeah, I mean... And it goes back to the whole sort of, you know, the, the the British military, all three services. We're a brand, and I think that's what we have to understand now. And it's it it's that ability for the brand to go into these places and um and give a good account of itself, you know. And and we go, we go back to the whole punching above our weight. And 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 there's lots of components and and, and reasons for that, but. I have no doubt in my mind, and, I, and I've wrote about it and, and and spoke about it on several occasions, we're viewed as a force for good because we are a highly ethical, you know, very sort of courageous, both morally and physically uh, courageous organisation, you know, this UK PLC. Very courageous, and, and we understand, um, and we use our, our limited might for good. Um, and, and to be able to come away from Sierra Leone, you know, the big thing when we went there was these, you know, and what we got to see was they had AMP camps, AMP as in A-M-P. The signature atrocity for the RUF was amputation of hands. So they had long sleeve and short sleeve and they gave you the choice. So long sleeve was they took your arm below below the elbow short sleeve they took it above the elbow and they gave you the choice in the village before they took your hand sickly in their mind two reasons one because it's threatening and 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 it's danger but you know what the the other one was that if in the future if there was any voting or any legal representative you couldn't vote you couldn't cast a vote to put anybody in government in power um i mean i we find it difficult to, to sort of justify your thought process like that but um so you going in and you go into these villages and you see kids running around with no hands and no arms and they just used to take the arms they didn't take the legs they took the arms because then they can't look after themselves they can't plow the field they can't build homes and you know so they, they you know they're dead anyway as a result of that um, so to come away after 24 days or 25 days however along the, how the battle group there was and that okay it didn't stop per se but it went a significant way mm. to stopping that yeah and 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 bringing some semblance to order and then the subsequent deployment of another highly effective force within the commandos so two back-to-back deployments bringing even more stability and then subsequently short term training teams going in there and propping up their police and government and training you know so that continuous presence on the ground of these highly effective motivated morally driven troops um helped to sort of really sort of set the set the set the journey again for and and allow the sierra Leone to you know to, to get back like you said to mm. some
0: semblance
1: of of, of normality
0: mm hmm how did um how did it uh did it affect the way you uh, looked at your career looked at your looked at the unit looked at your position within within the military? Yeah, don't know. Mm. Well, I mean,
1: I I I think I think coming back from Sierra Leone was the so the next six months because we came back in May. I was out. i was out in i was out seven months later um it was the whole process and 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 let me get you know and and i want to be very clear here i you know the british army turned me and, and and created and 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 turned me into the into the person i am and i'll be forever thankful and 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 when I wrote Mayhem, I'm very conscious that you know it isn't a stick to beat anything with. It, it just me, you know. There was mistakes. There's equipment deficiencies, lots of things. You know, Klansman radios not working, systems not working, and 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 I wanted to be very clear that that things could be done better. If you're going, you know, it's like I like I said, I didn't serve in Af- Afghan, but. You can't wait till the conflict is upon you before you start urgent operational requirements and purchasing some stuff off the shelf. You know, that whole, everything, that that whole sort of development process and equipment manning and levels and and, and realising what the threat and the potential threats of the future are going to be and preparing for it now, not waiting till, you know, the horse is bolted and then suddenly realising that... You know why? How can you have a magazine-fed support weapon like the LSW, and then having to go out and buy belt-fed, you know, five point five six minimies? When did that happen? Well, all those urgent operational oh, requirements. On, yeah, I'm yeah, saying yeah, we yeah. didn't have them, but no, we're yeah. we're involved in Afghan. We're involved in 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 Iraq before we realised that we need a firepower upgrade.
0: It became uh, it became it became madness, mate. Yeah. Um, no, no, it didn't become madness. It was madness from the start. It's one of those things. It's one of the annoying things that you probably had this discussion a million times. Those annoying things that you know, as experienced a military as we are, the British, as experienced as the Americans are, albeit a lot less, they will be around two hundred years. Uh, we don't, we don't seem to learn from all the lessons we can learn from until with two or three operations into a campaign that we could have used as lessons at the start, you know, exactly talk about LMGs, the LSW um, I I don't understand why that is yeah. but those UORs they changed that process uh, um, about, uh, well, we're Afghan fuck me man, it took it took like four four years, five years from the start of Afghan then to realise that the urgent operational requirement was needed and like a review, you know, so we as an example on, on the in two thousand and six when we deployed NATO or the sniper rifles for example, um the the scopes, the the magnification wasn't high enough what we were doing and and the elevation drum because we were engaging it much further than what they thought you could engage at. Uh so harassing fire. They thought like the um they thought the three three eight could harass it on paper, it was harassing fire was something like fourteen hundred meters. And harassing fire for safe pop listener means you can fire around first round your first round shot at a target, and it'll land close enough to them. Probably isn't gonna hit them, but close enough to them to fucking scare them. And that's called that's harassing fire. And they thought three three eight could do fourteen hundred meters. I think it was. I was doing it two and a half k. Um, I was doing it two and a half k in Kajaki. But it was a nightmare because the scope needed to, the elevation drum and go up high enough. Mm-hmm. The scope was the wrong scope. Do you know how long it took to change that? Two years. <laughs> yeah. That's 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 four more operations of other people going on the ground having the same fucking problem. Yeah. You know, it's, I, I don't know why that is. Maybe it'll change down the line. I don't think it will.
1: It just, yeah. I mean, and like you said, I mean, it it it, it it's it's something that that I find, I I found it very disheartening at the time. I, I you know, if you're going to send people into the into the arena if you're going to send people into arena then they need to be armed they need to be equipped you know you can't go on operations and realize that it's a body armor between four you can't go on operations and realize that why isn't everybody got a secondary weapon you can't go on operations and realize that you know you haven't got the ability to 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 fire 40mm grenades, you haven't got this, you haven't got, you know, inter-patrol comms are not secure and there's a brick, you know, you can't, all of this stuff that could be sorted out now as a result of what's happening, you know, um, it just seems to me that, you know, we we wait, we wait till we're engaged, we wait until the point that we're engaged before we realise that, you know we, we, there's so many deficiencies and when i came back from when we came back from sierra leone and and you know and you know blokes were having to leave the, the three four nines they weren't leave them out in the sun during the day to dry because we got you, you, you know it was raining and every you know it was it, it's that sort of equatorial climate you know so it was it would absolutely flood the village in rain for about 20 minutes you'd get you'd get six inches of rain then it would be baking sunshine but so, you know, radio's not working. If it wasn't for the fact that we scrounged a Tharaya sat phone, our first, the first contact report the PF has ever sent was sent on a Tharaya civilian, co- <laughs> you know, because because the 319s weren't working. It just, it's enough to get you back up. And I came back and we did all the, you know, we did the lessons learned, we did the reviews, we looked at kit we had, problems you know everything through the SEAT and, and 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 all of the issues that we had and and you, and and you put forward these suggestions and 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 recommendations and there's just inactivity there's just inactivity and um and for me it kind of i don't know was i being a petulant child and thinking you know, it was never going to change. I don't know. I just got to the point where as I just, you know, I, I, I don't know. I just got to the point where I made the decision that, you know, that um, that, that I was going to leave um, because it wasn't until we came back in the May. I didn't find out until the November that i on the honours list that I got the MC. I didn't know. So we'd been back five months. I didn't know. By that stage, I'd already made the decision to leave, so when I went for my investiture, I was out of the army. So when I went to the palace, I went in civvies because I was out. Um, w- w- which was which which was devastating. Was devastating.
0: Um, you know, what, what do you mean in what way? Because you because you weren't. I
1: was out, and uh, you know, and and there would have been nothing greater than, uh, you know, to to have gone in uniform and still carried on my career. I don't know. Um, I just felt, you know, because like I said, I was out of the army. I left in the... I left... I went on gardening leave in the January of 2001. Um, So, and I didn't... The investiture wasn't until April 2001. So I'd been out three months. I was in a new job. Um, Yeah, it was just... I don't know. I look back on it now, and um, you know, and I did contemplate re-enlisting because pretty much nine eleven. I was walk. I was what I was working in London at the time. I was uh, I was heading up a C. I was on a CP team. I was walking into work, and nine uh, eleven happened, and it was you know that the whole sort of towers had happened, and I was in work. I'd just got in that morning, and I I was like, "That ah, right? There is good. There's guys on planes now." This guy's packing kit now, and I was like, "Right, shall I enlist? You know, I even phoned up the, the the O.C. the P.F. and he said, "If you want to come back, come back. Same rank, come back in."
0: Who was the O.C.? A uh,
1: guy called Liam Cradden. He's Reggie Colonel now. Uh, awesome guy.
0: It's interesting that you mention the M.C. mate, because um, and we haven't got time for it now. Cause I know we should talk. Part but, three. But. but, but um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, but well yeah. <laughs> but um you've obviously dressed over shit in that battle on the pod, on the first podcast. Which is why well, I need to read this book. <laughs> I need to read this book. <laughs> you've you uh, spoken You've spoken, you know it, you you've spoken about it incredibly modest I- incredibly modestly, mate. Um incredibly modestly. Uh yeah. I, I'm gonna read this book. I need to read this book and read the detail in it. That military cross it was fucking Ali. I mean, congratulations on that, but congratulations on it. Because listening to that, um, listen to the uh, you talked through it in the first podcast, um, some pretty hairy shit you did, mate. I wouldn't have gone fucking <laughs> crawl out, crawling out of the current the out in uh, with with the water. Um, yeah, I um will have to read it, mate. Uh, but. Going back, do you think? Do you think that um, wanting to get back in potentially was just because there was a um, there was there was more ops going on and uh, FOMO fear of missing out? Yeah,
1: hundred percent. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I mean, I, and and the other thing as well is that um, you know, I, I you know when you've you know, with, and and I find it difficult. Um, Let's get the words right so i mean for me you know being in the being in the platoon being in the in, in the p f you know it was it was you know it was it was very special, very special um you know and 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 of course because we are sort of umbilical to the brigade and constantly surrounded by the reg and and fed from. You know, I mean, when I left, we were tri-service selection then, so we were taking, you know, we'd had Marines come on the course, we'd had REF Regiment come on the course and and that. So it was, I think, after Sierra Leone was the turning point and the development of the PF, their role, their equipment, the way that they were being deployed, the whole development of the Pathfinder Group and the Brigade Reconnaissance Force kind of went stratospheric at that point. And I think it would have been a great time to be involved um, and so there was that and the fact that back on ops you know and, and we're all we're all you know we're all selfish aren't we we all just want that you know we all wanted that ops because there was such there was such a period of inactivity wasn't there I mean the drawing down of Ireland and, and, and everything there was that period where you, you know we didn't get to do anything and then all of a sudden from sort of 2000 it just went mental, didn't it? For whatever twelve, thirteen years, um, yeah. So there was that, and and as you said, four more position thinking to yourself, back with the blokes, back on
0: ops, testing, doing what you what you love. Um, I think uh, I think that's one of the biggest things is that when you when you deploy for the first time, uh, no, not deploy. When you're involved in a in um, when you, you get your first probably like when you had you have that very first, the first contact on the first night, probably, you know, that first time it happens and because and you realise, fucking hell, I'm pretty good at this or I didn't flap or I didn't, you know, I was 100% of this and it's relief because up to, those, up to that point for anyone, regardless of your rank, regardless of how many, you know, ops you've been on before, without experiencing a, a, a battle like that, just once, even just once, mate. you you never you you never know you you never you can never confirm in your head was I when the shit is the fan could I cut the mustard? So whether you have done it like once or a million times, it's the first time that counts. When you and you know this because you, you know in your head when I think about it, it heads back and and it's like I think yeah. I know, and the shit, it's a fun. Mm. In, the, in the worst possible way, when someone's trying to kill you, I can fucking handle this. And not only that, I can handle it myself, and I can make, as you as a, com- as a commander, you know, you can make those critical decisions. You can have, you can act in the best possible way in the most hideous of circumstances, most dangerous of circumstances, not only looking after yourself, but looking after the, the people under your command. And I think that... um I think that that one thing, when you understand that and you and you can and you have faith in yourself, mate, you you just want to go back and keep doing it because it's the sharp end of the spear, and that's that. I think that's that FOMO where the is. you just want to keep going back. I can do this. Let's go and do it again because this is the hardest thing I'll ever do in my life. It's the most dangerous thing I'll ever do in my life, and I'm fucking good at it.
1: Oh. I- it's like, I mean, yeah, professional athletes, you know, whatever, yeah. sports whatever. Unless you physically, it doesn't matter how much training you have done. It doesn't matter how many miles, miles you've cycled. Unless you're actually on the mountain stage of the Tour de France, you don't know how good you are. You don't know how you're going to react. So all of the rehearsals, all of the training, all of the exercises are great, but you don't know. And as you've said, it's that clarity of thought. How do you balance courage with caution? How do you inspire those people who are looking to you for that sort of guidance? How do you create the conditions where people have got so much confidence and they believe that with you, they are better off without you? Um, On a personal point of view, yeah. How, you know, can I compartmentalise? Have I, has all that resilience work paid off you know can i control emotion fear i'm we haven't developed we haven't developed a medication yet that will that that will take a a feeling away the resilience in us is how do we ring fence that feeling and then continue to act so i'm i'm scared i'm petrified adrenaline's coursing through my veins there's doubt there's anxiety but their emotions i can't control them but what i can do is fence them off and act upon it um and i think it's until you've until you've had that sweat sand blood on your face um i don't think you'll ever know and i think that's you know something that all soldiers need at least once
0: yeah not just soldiers you know yeah. I, I mean I well think-
1: yeah i mean and anything in the services anything fight the pilots you, you know the minute they're engaged or in a dog fight or they're on a bombing run whatever um it's that confidence that all the training all the work all the preparation everything that you have done and for a just cause um is now coming to fruition
0: yeah i think that um it's a good point since now to you know, 2000 was almost like the start of craziness for 12 13 years thinking about it i think the position that the, the british military is in now and veterans i think that as a nation if you, you know, the, the amount of people that we got in, in the British population at the moment, or the, U, or the UK population, it might not be British, but UK population, is probably the most experienced, militarily experienced, regardless of what service you come from, regardless of what you do within that service, Army, Navy, RAF, probably the most experienced we've been. And I can't think how long. How long was the Second World War? Well, five years. Six years. Well, six I, years no, yeah. I, I'm not, no. Granted, I know what you mean. Granted, yeah. granted, there were a fuckload of people in involved in the Second World War, but what I'm talking about, we got 13 years of people 13 years worth of hundreds of, thou- hundreds of thousands mm. of people who are experienced in in, in military campaigns, probably, a, you know, I'd argue, since the Second World War, probably the most experienced in the nation now, militarily they are now. And and the good thing about that is that, I would suggest, those people involved, that we're probably the most mentally resilient in certain generations, as we could be. A lot of those people are out now, a lot of those people have been in, you know, um and done those operations in 2000 2013 Look at the look at the quality look at the quality of people we have in the veterans in Civvy Street now. There's a it's a much bigger proportion than, than previously I'd argue just because it is span of operation, like you said, we've twelve or thirteen years, mate. Such and there's huge value in it. And you know, and 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 and, and I think it's it's becoming more more um people are becoming more aware that now employers are more um swinging more towards, you know, uh be more likely to employ veterans and have the stigmas that they were there before um which leads me nicely on to Explatoon mate. We got about um there we go tell me about tell me about um your company Explatoon. You're on the book Explatoon, then operation yeah. Mayhem. Tell me about your company. We didn't get the chance to get to talk about it earlier. When did Explatoon start? Um it
1: it started it started in its current form 2 years ago. Um so I came when I left the military, and, and I, did, uh, I very, very quickly, I went out to work in the UAE, and um, I ended up on a, a private contract, and I went out there as, um, you know, so it was just at nine eleven, and we went out there to establish um, what, in effect, became a cross between Brecon and Warminster, so it was called a Combat Training Centre, fell under the Special Operations Command, um, and it was for training people. So I ended up for the UAE military. For the UAE, yeah. So I went out there on a two-year contract as an instructor. There was half a dozen PowerEdge guys, a couple of SF. Um, and um, and we set up and we set up. It morphed into a 14-year contract. Um, grew beyond, you know, it went from uh, about 11 of us being in country in 2002 to close to 350 being in country later. So I ended up being there... Uh, Ran the combat training centre, chief advisor, had a, a Oh, big, yeah. Yeah, oh, so God. I had a chief... I had a, I had a big workforce under me, lots of two... Uh, well, one, two, three para guys, um, half a dozen marines, a couple of SF guys, and as a team, we developed this this centre. I came back in 2015, immediately dropped into sort of the leadership motivational speak. My brother was a professional footballer, so I had an inroad into sort of the elite sports world, um, looking at um, development, motivations, team building, cohesion, discipline, looking at youth development within the academies. Um, so I was doing that, doing a lot of speaking. It then sort of, it then went into education. Um, I then kind of, I, I, I developed a program to work with children that are disengaged, 11 to 16 year old on the point of being excluded from mainstream school, disengaged, behavioral difficulties, um, issues in the classroom. So I developed a program to go into schools and using military values and ethos, and uh, and and to, to to sort of reinforce classroom work to work with them. So I was doing that, and um, and I realised that wouldn't it be great if I could do all of that outdoors? You know, take people, take corporations on uh, on corporate businesses on value teams, ethics, building that network, or you know, sort of validating strategy planning looking at education, so the whole thing. So that's when I kind of, we formed Expertune. So the, so Expertune has three three elements to it, three facets to the business. So we have the education element, and I hope to be able to build an academy um, within the next five years as well, so that there is, so we're looking at getting children outside, re, looking at resilience, health and well-being, arming them with real life skills, Um, looking at communication how you become successful the understanding of being part of a team we have the corporate element in the middle it works the same with with so I'm looking at I now work with sort of um, elite sports I'm working with premiership clubs I'm working with some clubs in the championships Um, and again building that sort of team ethos leadership into their structures and we have an overseas element so our, we we take people overseas so i've got four trips we do the desert the jungle um i've got the arctic going in march 2020 we take 16 people to sweden i've partnered up with um when i was in the pf we used to do a lot of trips uh to, to sweden winter survival um, the head of the sf training wing at the time and um, was a good friend of mine we kept in touch he's now out he has a business similar to mine so we've partnered up. So we do a, a eight days Arctic um, survival course. Uh, we've got a camp built um, in 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 northeast Sweden. So you're three hundred and sixty five kilometers inside the Arctic Circle, um, and we take people in. You know we do you know survival. You do husky dogs, mush your own husky dog team, snowmobiles. You know underneath the Northern Lights, we've got a camp built. It's You know, it's good food at the end of the day. There's even a sauna, and it's really sort of that whole escapism. Mm. Um, Yeah, so that's where we're at now. And it's, um, you know, we've got, I've just, uh, we've introduced an indoor CQB range. So we now have...
0: I saw that. Yeah,
1: yeah. we now have uh, Sig Sauer. So I I bought weapons from Sig, yeah. yeah. So I got MCX rifles. I mean, they're air rifles, but they're perfectly they're cosmetically and um, and sort of ergonomically perfect to the weapons and we've got 226 pistols so they're semi-automatic we go through the whole procedures um you know we teach people marksmanship coach we coach them into sort of snap and instinctive shooting we've got some cqb lanes inside um we're pushing it outdoor now so i've built an ibsr that old individual battle shooting range like they have in Brecken darting between bits of cover crawling into cover engaging targets you know so it's a bit of escapism mm-hmm. and it's sort of you know you know veterans I, I, you know i have a team of guys that come in and do guest instructors a couple of xpf guys a couple of x ex- guys from uh down the road um you know so it's really good it it it's it, it's awesome mate it's um it's in a good place
0: good mate good good to hear it um Blokes always do well when they go when they when they when they go, flight alone and get a bit of uh, entrepreneurial spirit. It's just realising they've got the got the capability. Do you know what I mean? A lot of people don't. A lot of people don't. I think we are. As I think British soldiers, um, are very entrepreneurial. It's just having the confidence and the understanding the city street, to action it.
1: That's the big thing, mate. The biggest, my biggest learning curve over the last two years is business you know we we come from a we come from an environment where we're not financially minded and i tell you i tell you when i've suddenly become financially minded is that you know you, you go on the range in the military and you've got sandbags you're throwing them away and you're burning figure 11s and figure 12s and that and now i want figure 11 and figure 12 targets if you can't get them off the blocks, you're on ebay and they're the 30 quid <laughs> and i'm going God, I used, to, I used to throw this stuff away. <laughs> <laughs> so it's becoming commercially minded. That's the biggest, that's the learning curve. Applying your skills and your knowledge and everything you do, that's not a problem. We do that. We get that and we get it massive. We're not scared of hard work, long days, long hours. We don't financially expect to be swimming in money. We don't, get, that's not us. The biggest problem for us or for me was the financial aspect of it managing your own books managing the the cash flow and 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 doing media becoming a social media guru networking they're the difficult things that we we we,
0: we struggle with sometimes yeah. well i did well personally. social media is cuz you're age but the networking yeah. <laughs> tap no, tap mate. tap 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 um mate. where do people go to find out about explatoon
1: um www.explatoon.com mhm um we're on facebook twitter instagram go on the website everything's there we do survival courses we do family adventures for kids uh, we do parent dads and lads mums and daughters combinations the whole family sort of come for 24 hours learn how to make a fire water purify learn how to navigate with the sun and stars build a shelter ditch technology and just sort of reconnect over that in the wild in the wilderness in the woods um, Round the campfire and it's just sort of that real connection again. Mm-hmm. Um Cool.
0: Yeah. Uh also before we turn it off, um people Operation Mayhem and uh explatooner Steve's two bucks. So Operation Mayhem, if you want to get into the nitty 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 gritty, in a more structured way than these two podcasts <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> go and get Operation Mayhem. Um still everywhere. Waterstones online. Three quid on. is it still three quid online? On Amazon, is that bargain oh, on? Is, mean, it bargain bar- is it is it priced yeah. like that for the Northerners? Um,
1: not well. Yeah, I mean, we 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 you're giving away up there, mate. <laughs> North of Doncaster, they're free.
0: <laughs> Steve, it's been an absolute pleasure, mate. Pleasure, mate. Great. Great stuff. Again. Cheers. Cheers, Ties, buddy. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Uh, number 60, done and dusted. Thank you to our sponsors. Again, uh, Rugby for Heroes, rugbyforheroes.org, Rugby number four heroes on social media. Also, a Westway Nissan, UK's largest Nissan dealership, uk And finally, Team Rubicon UK, disaster response charity formed predominantly of military volunteers. They need funding to carry on doing what they're doing, helping people in the UK and overseas. TeamRubiconUK.org forward slash donate. Finally, don't forget that Nico Viljoen's crowdfunding campaign to help him get the skin cancer pioneering treatment he needs is still ongoing. Nico, if you haven't heard my previous talks about him, is a former British soldier, South African, uh, a good friend of mine when we were, when we were serving together, um, and he's in, in dire straits with a, a, a very rare strain of skin cancer. So um, the crowdfunding campaign, it, it's, uh, it's an epic long URL, it's like, Backerbuddy.co.za.blah, blah, 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 blah. To me really read it out, you just forget it. So instead, go to charliecharlie1.com forward slash Nico, N I C O. It won't take you to the podcast website. It will redirect you directly to Nico's crowdfunding campaign. Do that, please. charliecharlie1.com forward slash Nico. If you can't afford to donate, then please share the crowdfunding campaign. He's a British soldier. He put his life on line for, for for British citizens. And um he deserves all the help he can get. Also, all the t-shirt sales that are in the podcast uh, online merchandise store, all of the profits in the t-shirt sales are all going to Nico's fund. So if you've been on an hour and about getting something from the, from the merchandise shop, there's some alley shit it, actually. I say actually like I'm surprised. It's my fucking shop. Get on there, buy something, and the money goes to Nico to help him get his treatment and help him survive. That's it. Until next time, out.